Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray. And today we are back in Santa Monica, beautiful LA, the sun is shining. And I am talking to an incredible man. His name is Peter Crone. Uh, it's been said that Peter is like a combination of Einstein, Buddha and Austin Powers having a baby. Uh, and after today, I have to agree, the guy has a level of science to him. He also has incredible spirit, but at the same time, he's very human. He's just like us in many ways. Uh, and he's got a great sense of humor. And today we explore his story, you know, from losing his mum at the age of seven, can you imagine? And then his dad at 17, to becoming one of the most in-demand consultants in the area of human potential and performance. He now works with some of the top CEOs and leaders of business, as well as professional sports people, helping them achieve levels of performance that completely change the game by focusing in areas that most people wouldn't consider. Now, what he does is he introduces people to new perspectives, which ultimately unfolds new dimensions. And I choose these words very carefully because after this conversation today, you really won't look at the world that you're in exactly the same way. And to quote Peter, he doesn't solve problems, he dissolves them. And you actually see him do it live here with me, uh, where he does a healing at the end of this podcast. And I've got to say, I'm still affected, I'm still impacted. Uh, this has probably been one of the most incredible and possibly profound podcasts that I've done, where you might get to see a side of me that um, you don't get to see every day when you consider, you get to see pretty much everything. This is something new, this is something cool. Uh, it's gonna be one you also wanna watch on video. Listen up. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com well, I've got to tell you, and I hope I d this doesn't come across the wrong way to other incredible guests that I've had, but this is an interview that I've been excited about and uh, more so through the serendipity of it. Yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Unstoppable. We have the one, the only, Peter Crone. It's great to have you here. Pleasure to be here, I, I've read things that you're like the combination of uh, uh, Einstein, what was it, Einstein? Go on, you can do it. I can do this. I was, <laughs> I was a combination of Einstein. Fuck me, I just read it. I literally, literally, <laughs> we'll work on memory. We'll work on, yeah, we can, do, we can work on that. Well, uh, what was it? You tell me and so I'll repeat it. So it was a journalist said, uh, it was a combination of meeting Buddha, Einstein and Austin Powers all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was, you know, just taking it as humbly as I could was just a, it was a beautiful dissection of my work because obviously Buddha really speaks to spirituality, yeah. right, and presence. And Einstein... Similar to what you were just saying, I, I'm very practical. I'm a man's man, and I just I want to recognize 
the science of stuff. I don't mm. want to just be in the world of woo-woo and other dimensions. And then obviously Austin speaks for himself in terms of uh, don't take shit too seriously. Yeah, the sense Shag, of humor. baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So, mate, it's great to have you here. Now, for anyone who's perhaps been living under a rock for um, the last 10 years, yeah. why don't you give us the, 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 the short uh, introduction to who is Peter Crone? Okay. Um, I mean, Peter Crone has had sort of a few iterations. Uh, my former career was really in doing more physical performance, right? So domicile British, grew up uh, southeast Kent, a little town of Dover, the White Cliffs, uh, orphaned by the age of 17. Orphaned? Uh, yeah, my mum uh, passed when I was seven. Uh, my dad worked on the ferries that so went between England and Belgium or England and France and went to work one day at Capsize. It was a big disaster over there in Europe um, and uh, never came back when I was 17. So only child, so that was obviously quite pivotal in the my destiny and, and what sort of forged who I am today. So that's sort of where I started. Came to the States about uh, six years after that. I, I went did my college undergrad and postgrad and then made a low budget film, you know, being in LA, that's what you do. Of course. Uh, we made it for $200,000, it was an absolute piece of crap. <laughs> what was it? I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to give them the name <laughs> and be associated with that when people are starting to think that I've actually got something to offer. Um, no, it was a fun project. We were three 24-year-old kids, one of my uh, co-producers, his family had a fair amount of wealth and so we sort of used them as the investors through right. their, their network of friends. and. The other guy was this sort of idiot savant, brilliant kid. He wrote the scram the screenplay, totally socially awkward, but like had a great insight about storytelling. And then I sort of tried to corral it and keep it together and organize it all. So that was a great foray into this uh, LA lifestyle. Yeah. And um, we kind of broke even. We gave the investors some money back, but suffice to say, it wasn't the way that I got to retire. Um, and then I got into personal training. So that's where I got to. Uh, really explore what I'd studied as an undergrad, which was human biology and exercise physiology. So that allowed me now to take something that was very educational based and put it into practical effect and got to work with a couple of uh, very cool VIPs here in town and traveled the world with them for five years. And then I started my company that really is what I do now in the last two decades, which is sort of redesigning people's identities and recognizing these what I assert are pre-installed limitations that we have as human beings. And that's that's been just super, super fulfilling. And, and the results that I get, whether it be athletes, entertainers, businessmen, or stay-at-home parents, it's, uh, it's just so moving to see how I can introduce people to this dimension beyond the constraints of their subconscious mm -hmm. and what becomes available there. So. so at what point in your life did you realize that you had a bent towards health? Um, very early on, I mean, as a kid, I was growing up in, in England, obviously, footy, you know, yeah. soccer, as they call it over here, was um, was my passion. And, and I actually got picked up at a very young age by a professional team with the potential of going through their development ranks. But because I went to a traditional British school with Saturday morning school, which is still, you know, I, I, I find fascinating, but it sort of put the kibosh on my soccer career. Um, but I was even then starting to look at, okay, how did my diet affect me even as a young teenager? Um, understanding the simple things of flexibility to avoid injury. Um, 
And just part of my natural sort of makeup as a Virgo, uh, Virgos are very service oriented and very into health and wellness. So it was sort of just part of my DNA. Mm. Yeah. And so then you you became a, a personal trainer, but with yeah. a bit of a twist. You were really focusing on the the yoga and I I, I wanted to incorporate multiple disciplines. Okay. You know, so I sort of had the scientific background of my education with a bachelor of science in human biology and exercise physiology. So we could get down into the nitty gritty of Krebs cycles and yeah. ATP and. But then I did want to take in some of these Eastern philosophies of Pilates and yoga. So I became a trainer in those. So I just like to. I always like to pull from multiple disciplines and then create my own hybrid. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you, like from the conversation we had earlier, like you really had an incredible break when you got the opportunity to work with some, um, some incredible uh, stars here in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've got to ask the question, how, how did that happen? How did that fall into place? Was yeah. that just serendipity at its finest? Yeah, it's just good karma, I guess. Yeah. I behaved myself in the last few lifetimes and uh, got a good break. Saved the world in a previous life to yeah, get uh, some like rewards that, in this which one. Which I thought I was doing in this lifetime, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just was working out at a gym. It just—it's the weird series of events where this cascade of uh, meeting someone in my building, which was a rent control here in Santa Monica. He was the manager of all the trainers at a gym just in Malibu, and he said, "You know, we got to know each other, and we'd work out together." And he's like, "Look, you." you know more about the body and working out than anyone I actually have working for me, which at the time was a roster of about 20, 25 trainers. He said, if you get certified, so it becomes sort of, you know, uh, licensed, then I'll hire you. Because at the time I, we'd done with the film and um, I was just working at a bar down on the pier and, you know, it was a fun time to sort of be a 24, 25 year old. But um, so I, was, I took a two week course and became a National Academy of Sports Medicine trainer. Um, and so that then gave me this job at the gym. Now, at the gym, everybody knew this other trainer who was the trainer to these celebrities. So we were the sort of the everyday trainer, and then he was the special one. And one day, the general manager, only five months into me working at the gym, which was, uh, which was really a blessing because I was the real, you know, I was the, the rookie, so to speak. You know, all the other trainers had been there for multiple years, but the general manager came to me and said, look, you really have the greatest... Um, sort of resume of skill sets. And so we're putting you forward to replace this, this other trainer, Bob, because he, he decided he was a family man, had two kids. It was too difficult for him to keep traveling around the world. And so he'd been asked to try and find a replacement. So I was put into that pool. And so it's just right place, right time and right outfit. I don't know. <laughs> right <knowledge. laughs> and so you did that for five years and then yeah. and then you, you left to kind of explore your own path. And where did that lead you? Um, yes, because there was a pivotal moment in my life where... So, so there was something, a defining moment in Absolutely, that at that yeah, moment, right. which really was the precursor to me deciding to take that leap. Because it wasn't easy. It was a great lifestyle, traveling around on, you know, Gulfstream jets and having everything taken care of. Um, with not really having to do, quote unquote, too much time in. Yeah. You know, I didn't necessarily know what my time was, but like, you know, how much can somebody work out in any given day? So um, I had a lot of time to myself, which allowed me to do a lot of reading and self-exploration in these dimensions of, you know, self-actualization and awakening and stuff like that. So, um, but there was a distinct moment where I was in a relationship that sort of as often they do, fell apart, but it was pivotal for me to sort of go into this state of suffering, which then revealed some of the deeper 
constraints that I had developed over time really associated to my parents' passing. What were they, if you don't mind me asking? No, not at all. It was around the, the big one was around the fear of loss. So, abandonment? Um, I mean, abandonment, you could say, was sort of like the psychiatrist's way of labeling it. But really, as human beings, we have a, I would assert, like an inbuilt fear of losing stuff that we we perceive as valuable. Yes. So, you know, obviously my parents being the archetypes of security and nourishment and care and love and those going, there was a distinct feeling of a loss, right? Uh, Especially at that age, I can't even think... Even though it's me, it's sort of weird to think of a seven-year-old whose mother dies of cancer and the inability to process that, right? So it's sort of like a form of mental indigestion. Like, so I wasn't able to actually understand it, but viscerally it's going to have its impact. So when I met this one girl who at the time, as I understood love, which really wasn't love as I've subsequently now understood it, it was more that puppy romantic love. Um, when she decided that she had to go, which was, as far as I'm concerned, life setting me up for awakening, um, I went back into that fear of loss, right? And so that became the catalyst for my mind to sort of unravel at the time, not in an attractive way. You know, I wasn't sleeping. I was calling everybody under the sun to find out how do I get this girl back? You know, desperate men doing desperate things. Um, not that I was doing anything nuts, but I was just, you know, sad. I, I just, I, I missed her. So, but that led to this sort of big epiphany of me realizing that the very structure and nature of life is uncertainty. And as a human being, we have a component of us that's always trying to find certainty in uncertainty. And it just struck me at what a complete waste of time that was. Because if the nature of life is uncertainty, it doesn't matter how much I try and fucking figure it out. All I'm going to do is get exhausted and still not know. Yep. <laughs> so at that moment, it was literally like my levitation moment, my moksha, my awakening, my enlightenment, where I really realized that life is the unknown. And for the first time ever in my life, I was totally comfortable with that. Was there an actual moment where all of a sudden, because, you know, I, 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 I love Eckhart Tolle's story where he was sitting on the bench and there was yeah. the moment that came over him and he experienced yeah. that... Um, that level of sartorial yeah, yeah, or enlightenment. Yeah. Was there a moment where you were in a practice doing something, you had been doing something that led to this defining moment or it just came over a period of time? It was really just sort of out of left field. I mean, I was sitting in a rent control apartment, same one that I'd been with just, you know, when I first arrived in LA. And it was a room that was probably about 200 square feet, had everything that I owned in the room, bed, bookshelves, clothes, desk, and uh, I was just sitting there at my desk and my mind had, the lead up had been a, a multitude of sort of really what were unanswerable questions, but nonetheless, the mind gets on this talk track of trying to figure them out, right? So it was, will I ever see her again? Is she dating someone? Is she, where is she? Am I ever going to meet anyone as sexy as her? Am I, you know, fundamentally, am I going to be okay? Like all these questions that I literally didn't know the answer to. And so even though for a few days, a few weeks, I'd been trying to resolve that discomfort that comes with that uncertainty and suffering, the epiphany moment was sitting in my chair at this desk in this tiny little rent control apartment. um, And I just got the answer to all of the questions. And it was three words, I don't know. And the relief that hit me was like nothing I'd ever experienced. That, to me, was quintessential freedom. So at that moment, I realized that the angst and the suffering I was feeling as a byproduct of trying to find the answer to those questions 
was actually all resolvable in the answer to all of the questions, which was, I don't know. But for the first time, as I said, in my life, not only did I get the answer to the questions, I was completely at peace not knowing. Surrender. Total surrender. So what, what made the moment even more profound, and this is where we could take sort of the Buddha part, which is the awakening and make it very Einstein-like, was within 15 minutes, 15 minutes of me having that epiphany, my phone rings. I didn't even have a cell phone at that time. It was just my desk phone, landline, and I pick it up, and it's the girl who had left seven, eight weeks previous. Now, I hadn't spoken to her for probably about five or six weeks, so there's a good period of silence, right? Now, in the two or three weeks prior to that, where we hadn't had any communication and we were chatting a little bit, I was the one desperate, right? Like, sort of not necessarily directly saying it, but hoping she said, you know, we'll give it another go, I'll come back, or whatever it was, right? So now I pick up the phone, it's her, and she's crying saying, I miss you so much. Now, that all sounds great in the romantic realm, like, oh, good, they're going to reconcile. now. Yes. But what I got out of that was the intuitive understanding of the energetic entanglement, mm. right? So that I had literally become available. The previous iteration of our relationship was where I was in a relationship with my own fears, unbeknownst to me. So I wasn't a bad guy. I was super loving and caring and gifts for no reason. And on the surface, uh, surface I was a perfect boyfriend. To, to this day, she still asserts that that was the case. But because life set me up for success, she had to go away so that I could have this epiphany such that then I actually, for the first time, was truly available to her. Because I wasn't coming from a place of fear of loss of her. I was actually, what I would assert, in a position of intimacy with her, energetic. So even though, and this is how powerful it is, she couldn't have been further. Somehow from LA, she'd gotten to New Zealand. <laughs> she was literally as far as she could be on the planet. Wow. But based on the laws of entanglement, which is, you know, you're just an atom over here and simultaneously, instantaneously, so too does the other one that's connected to it. So the entanglement theory to me was just demonstrated there in real life, which is my shield dropped, my fear dropped, I'm transparently available, we had a soul bond, whatever you want to call it, and she felt that to the point that she could reach out. You know, there's a great Buddhist quote that says, the greater the pain, the greater the awakening. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure there's people listening to this right now or watching this right now, and they're going through some level of pain, yeah. some level of suffering, some level of uncertainty, and they're yeah. maybe sitting there going, well, well, it was all right for you. You were in fucking Santa Monica. It was all yeah. right for you. You know, yeah. you had just done all these things. You'd worked with these VIPs and their stars. Yeah. So for people who perhaps are listening to this and maybe hearing something like a concept like this for the first time, who are experiencing suffering, experiencing pain, and yeah. they're, they're asking questions, but they're not getting any answers. They're getting the answer maybe, well, I don't know, but they're not okay with that response. Yeah. Like what, what advice would you, is that one of the things that you do is work through with people in those situations for like sure. that? For sure. I mean, and definitely more so in a specific situation. Yeah. Right? Like, so obviously, it's a beautiful question. And I, you know, we obviously known each other for 10 minutes, but I can feel the simpatico of our sensitivity, right? Yeah. You're a big guy, but you're a sensitive guy. And, you, and I'm the same. Like, even as you ask the question, I can feel my sense of wanting to give these people a hug. Mm. You know, it's like I just come from love, it's my favorite way of being. So that would be the first thing is that, you know, I just share my love, like, and for whatever that's worth, like, you're not alone, um, even though it feels that way. Mm. Um, and so, aside from, being okay with that, I would really invite people to develop a quality of trust that in ways that perhaps they don't understand, the circumstances of their life are 
aligning for their benefit, even if it doesn't feel that way, right? So the sort of the quintessential, the person who gets laid off from work and they're feeling the pressure or the stress of now losing a secure income. It feels like that event is subjectively not wanted. It's bad. Yet we all know how it may take three, six, nine, twelve months, but when things sort of fall into place as they're intended to be, they can look back in hindsight and go, oh, wow, me getting laid off, even though at the time it was a struggle, is actually a blessing now and one of the best things that ever happened to me. So that falls into the bucket of trust that in ways that I don't fully understand right now, the events of my life are transpiring in a way that is for my benefit. And so that would be the other thing that I say is that we're not victims of life, we're beneficiaries to it. So it's a reframe, it's being able to adjust our perspective in a way that allows us to recognize even through adversity that I'm becoming a, big, a bigger and better version of myself. So, Are there any ways that you help people or even yourself induce hindsight quicker? Because sometimes it takes people six years of suffering before hindsight yeah. finally drops and they're like, ah, oh, now yeah. I get it, oh, but I've been suffering for so long. Yeah. Like, is there any way that people can shortcut the, the suffering and access hindsight perhaps faster than... Yeah, I mean, the own. quickest way is to realize there's nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I love the simplicity. How was that, three seconds? There we go. <laughs> Done. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. No, really, it's one of the distinctions that I teach. And, you know, that's going to be one of the chapters of my book is recognizing that as a pre-installed way of looking at life, we're under the impression that things shouldn't be the way they are. Mm. And, you know, that's a human perspective on top of a mother nature way of reality. You know, like one of my quotes is, you know, I have an intimate relationship with reality. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that to me allows, affords me such a beautiful ability to flow with whatever happens because in a deep visceral at every cell in my body level, I know that things are exactly the way they are. Why? Because that's the way they are. <laughs> you know, like if you look at the audacity of the human mind that is under the impression that it knows how things should be. Mm. I'm sorry, I didn't get the memo that you're in charge of the universe, mm. you know? So it's just, it's comical when you really get the audacity of us thinking we know how other human beings should act, let alone take it to the level of mother nature and how things should be. Mm. You know, I might as well walk out there and point up at the sun and say, who the fuck put the sun there? It's supposed to be over there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you just not have that conversation. Yeah. It's just nonsensical. But you apply that same principle to everyday life and the fact that your husband, your wife, your sister, your mother behaved in a way that your mind is saying was inappropriate or wrong, that's the same physics as me pointing to the sun and saying it's in the wrong place. It may seem like the micro, but it's the macro and it's still, it's still the same principle. The I, almighty me, knows how life should be at, at, at this moment. And it's not the way I think it should be, therefore I'm in suffering. So you have this awakening. Yeah. Um, you didn't go and sit on a mountain and meditate in a, in a cave for the next 10 years. No. You, you, you did something uniquely different. What did you do? I mean, well, I started my work because I realized, you know, at that point that uh, I was like a kid who found this uh, treasure chest of like fun and play and freedom and love and I really just wanted to share it. So you felt like you entered the stage of life where you had a, did it feel like you entered the stage of life where you had more freedom than you'd ever felt before? Yeah, and not, I would even assert not more freedom, but freedom. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's not a sliding scale. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there is to a certain degree, 
But to me, it was the experience of freedom itself, yeah. the essence of freedom. It wasn't even that uh, Peter was free. Like I could say, oh, I am free. It's no, I'm the essence of freedom itself. Mm. It's a subtle but powerful distinction. It wasn't a freedom that allowed you to walk around naked at three o'clock in the morning and feel like you were... Uh, I've been doing that for years. <laughs> that's, just, well, that's just Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> yeah. And so what happened on the outside world at that point? You have this greater sense of freedom. And then yeah. what, what turns up in the material world for you? Gosh, I mean, everything that's transpired in the last sort of two decades. Um, I mean, even within, again, after the call that I got within the 15 minutes, I actually had a dinner appointment that was like five or six blocks away from where I was living at the time. And so externally, what transpired even there is that as I walked around to the restaurant, my visceral experience is why I wasn't even touching the ground. There was such a lightness, you know, but in terms of the things that just started to show up effortlessly as a, I would assert, a reflection of my new frequency, um, all manner of opportunities uh, that were unpredictable. You know, I, I stepped into a, a paradigm where I, I use it with clients. I say I allowed life to surprise me versus seeing as life as some sort of potential threat. So really at that point, it was something that I couldn't predict, but nonetheless was something that made total sense. Mm. So it was beyond the realm of knowing psychologically. It was more what I would call gnosis, GN, which is more guttural, intuitive. So it totally made sense that CEO over here, a celebrity here, professional athlete over here would suddenly, for whatever bizarre reason, reach out to me. Well, of course, because you as a human being living at this sort of high vibrational level of life are wanting to tap into something that's beyond that. Um, so it really was both a combination of the surrender that you mentioned, but then there was a sort of almost like a sense of responsibility uh, to help share this so that people could experience what's beyond human suffering, what's beyond human constraint and limitation. So that's maybe conceptual, but it was great opportunities, great clients, keynotes, uh, documentaries, you know, just... Because you've been a part of, of... How many documentaries now have you been a part of? Uh, well, one that's out, but I've done three more subsequent. Okay, because Heal is the one that's probably... Heal's the big one. That's yep. on Netflix, and that's really, like, literally, I flew to San Francisco for the day with the producer, and we spoke to an incredible group of 1,000-plus people who are recognized for being part of the healthiest employer... Uh, sort of culture. Oh, so wow. it was awards that are given to Bay Area, so sort of Palo yep. Alto, Silicon Valley. Employer of companies, kind of Companies yeah. that recognize the importance of having, you know, a distinct program of mental health, uh, physical health within the culture of the company. So uh, Kelly Gores and myself were the keynote speakers there. So um, that's one of the byproducts of doing something like Heal, right? Because they, they were at least citing it. Not everyone had watched it, but... It's gotten a lot of attention. Uh, Has that done a lot for your brand? I'd say it's done a lot in terms of credibility. Okay. The irony is, you know, and Kelly, who's a client, and that's how I got involved in the film, and a dear friend now, and like family, even she to date feels, quote, unquote, bad that the hour interview that I did, which is what most experts did, got condensed down to my six, seven minutes in the movie, and those six, seven minutes might be arguably the less profound of, you know, the oh, hour. Wow. Yeah. Even though there's great information. Yeah, I, mean, no, I don't I want to it. knock what was included. Yeah. So 
the irony is it's brought credibility. The actual content of my real work, which is you know what we're discussing and what I'm so passionate about, was really in the other sort of 53 minutes. Um, so we've subsequently done another filming, which isn't going to be a documentary, but Hay House, public, you know, big publishing company, they uh, had such success with the the release of the full interviews of all the uh, experts in the movie because there were 18 experts, about 18 hours of content. Everyone gets condensed down to whatever their version is. And so Hay House picked up the whole content. They did last year a webinar where you could watch, you know, five experts a day for an hour at a time over five days. I'm sure you're familiar with the model. No one can really sit there and digest all of that content. So then, you know, they offer it for 197 bucks or whatever it is. So they had such success with that. They've done a a follow-up. But they only used three of the original experts, for which I feel very flattered that I was one, alongside Joe Dispenza and the medical medium. So these are big cats out there in the world of health and wellness. So the three of us and then I think 14, 15 new faces, we're doing it again in uh, October. So is there any chance that um, he will bring out like, um, like what the bleep did, like what the bleep had their two and a half hour version and they brought out their like eight and a half hour down the rabbit hole version? Mm, I don't know. That's a great idea. I mean, I think she has been asked to look at like a director's cut. Yeah. Um, because that's There's what I loved about what the bleep, the down the rabbit hole. I don't know if you've seen yeah. what the bleep or what the down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. It no, just gives you that movie. extended perspective. Yeah. That, so uh, I think what they did is they parlayed it into the how the Hay House, House seminar. Better commercial model by the sounds of it. Better yep. for business. They yep. got to sell it to however many people. So we've done the other one, but to your to your question, that's the only big documentary I've done that's out. I've yep. got one that's uh, depending on when this airs, coming out in uh, I think middle of October. Okay, which looks at a baseball player who's struggling with the yips, and yips is normally associated with golfers when they get to that sort of three four foot range for putts, and they get the sort of the twitch and yep. uh, the fear of like a undesirable outcome, creating a physiological response. So. It's actually now become common in, or not common, but it's used in baseball when pitchers, they can't let go of the ball for fear of mm. an undesirable outcome. In this case, the guy hitting you know, home runs or getting hits or them walking a batter. And so this guy was this phenom who came through the ranks from high school, went into the, sort of the, the minor league development programs and became a, basically a, a major leaguer. And this was during a postseason game. So they made it into the playoffs. So there's a lot more significance, heightened pressure, and uh, he couldn't hit the strike zone. And uh, so they pulled him out in the first inning, which is, you know, that's a no-no for any starter. And um, But they were so committed to him and they believed in him as an athlete, they they uh, basically turned him into an outfielder or like a, an offensive player, which is, mainly, you know, he went from a pitcher to a hitter, which is sort of uncommon. So I got to speak to the psychology behind that. So that comes out. So I'm kind of curious that plays on Fox Sports. And they're actually going to do it after a playoff game. So that should be fun. Um, and then I've done two others. One is uh, from the Celestine Prophecy. Do you remember that book? Oh, my God. That book had a profound impact on me. Not just uh, the book, but also the story yes. behind how it got published and yeah, yeah. how it came to be. Yeah. So they are doing a documentary on that. So they uh, interviewed me for that. And then uh, actually another friend and client of mine is doing a documentary on kindness, oh, which is lovely. really beautiful. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know when either of those are going to come out. But So originally people came to you because they wanted to get you know, fit, healthier, more mobile. 
Now you're working with uh, you know elite professional sports people, CEOs of some of the biggest companies uh, in the country and also the world. So when people come to you now, and again because you're like you're almost like the the wheel of life, there are so many aspects, and from what I can tell in the research yeah. I've done, there's not too many areas that you don't really touch into. But yeah. is there a common pattern of why people come to you at the high level, like yeah. you know the high levels, the, the the overachievers, the the people who are really making their mark? Why would they typically come to you? I think like most human beings, it's their version of seeking relief, right? I think if there's one thing that every human being is looking for at some level, they may not quite phrase it that way. Relief in terms of the suffering? Yeah, like, you know, freedom is my favorite word. I would assert freedom is my product, right? Like that's what I'm bringing is freedom. Now, a lot of people wouldn't know that they even need freedom because they're so unconscious to the fact that they're in a place of suffering. Their suffering is what's become normal. Mm. But to me, that's, you know, the distinction I teach is there's a difference between normal and natural. And so what's become Mm. normal for people isn't natural. Mm. So when people get to higher levels, I think one of the reasons a lot of high achievers in in life do find me is because they no longer have the excuse of the material success as the access to their freedom. But you go up to anyone on the street, if you're a genie or you play that game, you say, hey, you got one wish, what would it be? Most people, without doing the actual scientific research, are probably going to say something about a lot of money, right? Like give me a million dollars, which today, first of all, isn't a lot. So hopefully people are educated that they're going to ask for at least 10, 100. (laughs) But whatever it is, they're under the impression that having that money is going to be the access to the experience. See, if I gave someone a million dollars in a suitcase and then put them in a very confined space or under, you know, in oh, a wow. closet underneath a set of stairs, the same example. Yeah. you've got the million dollars. That's what you, you did. But Why what are you so unhappy? That's what you wanted. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, so what did you want? Well, I wanted the experience that I think that money would give me, which is, you know, peace of mind, freedom to explore, like the ability to have a sense of exploration in life. So these are the things that people want. So the high-end achievers who are getting paid multi-million dollar, you know, through contracts, whatever it might be, salary, bonuses, equity, they no longer have that excuse. Because mm. they've now gotten to the point where they're like, oh, who I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago was the person thinking that when I got this, I've hit the gold mine of like, you know, human uh, nirvana. So people, I'm going to assume, and, and there's another great Buddhist quote, um, Teach them the illusion until they're ready for the truth. Right. And so my assumption is from what you've just said there, people often come to you because they've got performance issues mm-hmm. and they're looking to perform at a high level, Yes. but they don't know why. Right. They're looking, they've got everything, but they're maybe still not happy and they don't know yeah. why. Yes. Is that a fair assumption? A hundred percent. I mean, I can remember one of my favorite clients, he's a dear friend now, who was a very successful hedge fund guy and he really thought that his issue was that he had the yips. He wasn't a professional golfer. He's just a scratch golfer and he competed in all of the amateur tournaments and winning club championships and things like this. But subsequently, we've transformed his whole life, including his relationship to his wife, to his kids. He's now got a new business, you know. But he thought it was because he got nervous over a three-foot putt. Wow. So that was the access, right? Yeah. It's like when someone walks into a yoga class, they might be under the impression that what they want is, you know, to have tighter, tighter buns and a six-pack and maybe a bit more flexibility. But if they really go into the realm of yoga, the asana practice, the physical practice, is one-eighth of the philosophy of yoga. The other seven arms of yoga, or you know, arguably the 90%, is really about self-realization and awakening. 
So, you know, you put on the, the, the Lululemons and whatever it is and you go in there, but hopefully you come out there as a completely awakened or transformed human being. Yeah, right. And so I'm going to assume also with your experience in health and wellness, yeah. sometimes you're dealing with issues that they might, that they go in and think, well, I want to perform better. But you then identify there's a health issue that might be symptomatic of something deeper at an emotional level. Does that happen a lot? Every human being I meet. Right. Because to me, there's a natural cascade from, you know, our physiology is informed by our psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, and the psychology and that sort of emotional body are very intertwined, right? So depending on what program we have psychologically, most of which is subconscious, which got formed in the formative years of our childhood, which is informing our conscious thoughts, the things we ruminate on every night, like we're in the shower, in the car, and it's like, why about this? And I remember all of the concerns, they're all housed in these sort of deeper constraints of the subconscious. So as we're trying to rectify and reconcile the things we think about, we're creating this sort of sympathetic response, fight or flight, dumping cortisol into our system. That's now depleting our tissues. We're not sleeping well. And so we've got this vicious cycle all because at the deepest level, our subconscious is based in these survival mechanisms. Mm. So it doesn't matter who I work with, whatever's manifesting physiologically in their health, relationally in their relationships, financially in their careers, it's all a byproduct of these deeper causative factors, which are then cascading into these symptomatic factors. So I'm always just reverse engineering whatever someone's dealing with as a human in life to, well, how are you programmed? Is that kind of a, a little bit of a Louise Hay kind of bent with a, a unique twist? Um, I mean, I think Louise Hay might be sort of the very softer, with all due respect, I met her once, but like, you know, it's sort of the feminine, don't worry, they're, they're there, and a lot of affirmations, yeah. right? I'm not a fan of that because I think affirmations are a behavioral adaptation to the belief that there's something wrong again. Mm. I'd much rather get you to a place where you realize there's nothing wrong, so why do I need affirmations? Mm. It's subtle, yeah. but it's profound, right? Yes. So, you know, people often ask me, do you, do you do meditation? Do you have affirmations? I occasionally meditate, but I feel my state is meditative, right? So I think presence, the, the essence of presence, That's being so intimately true. connected with myself, being here with you now, not in psychological time, is meditation. So I would much rather get somebody to a place where they're inherently in a place of freedom, that they are not in conflict with or creating any resistance to life. Because all of the behavioral adaptations and the compensations that we have as human beings are invariably a reaction to the absence of freedom, right? If you want something, wanting is based in time. So what you're actually reinforcing is I don't have. So if you get out of time, there, you know, Eckhart Tolle, he talks about the now. I think it's in a very sometimes confusing, misleading, uh, unattainable way, ironically. But if you do really understand presence and you get out of psychological time, past or future. AKA clock time. Yeah, yeah. no, it was psychological time. Okay. Clock time, you know, the sun is going to come up and go down, which is also an illusion. It's actually not going anywhere. We're yeah. moving. But <laughs> <laughs> linear time is happening. Yeah. But psychological time in terms of like memory, past uh, or projection, future, if you're no longer in that realm, as an athlete would call it the zone, in LA, they call it flow state, or some people might call it that, or you know, in meditation, it's presence. So if you're in that state, then to me, there is no suffering, because all mm. suffering can only exist in psychological time. Mm. That's going back to what I said, I have an intimate relationship with reality. Mm. I'm where I'm at, 
I'm moving at the speed of life, as I tell people, meaning I'm in harmony with the way the things are unfolding. I, there's no resistance. Resistance to what is, is the precursor or the, the bedfellow of suffering. You are going to suffer if you don't want things to be the way they are. It's physics. <laughs> so if you're okay with the way things are, then you, you reconcile suffering. And that which we resist gets stronger. Yes. Intuition. I heard you mention something earlier. Um, I'm going to assume based on everything you've said in here, well, that plays a big role in your, in your life. Yes, absolutely. What role does intuition play and at what point did it enter your life? And are there things that you do that allow you to have greater access to it? Um, I, I would assert every human being is intuitive. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would sort of make an assimile to, to intuition and sensitivity. Right? We're sentient beings. What happens is we become calloused. So we lose that connectivity. So I, wouldn't, I, I don't know when it was, quote, unquote, lost for a minute. I would say it came back for sure at that moment when I realized I didn't know what the hell was going on and I was yeah. totally at peace with that because that was sort of the discard. Like my work isn't about, like I tell people, I don't solve problems, I dissolve them, <laughs> right? Which again is subtle, but it's powerful because Very. most people are under the impression if something's wrong, well, now I need a solution. So, you know, one of my stories working with a, an NBA basketball player who, who had the worst free throw shooting average in the whole league. Like the average is 75%. He had 37%. So it's less than half of the average. So he was looking for sort of help from everybody. Coaches, his like throwing coaches, you know, his sports psychologists, friends, teammates, blah, blah, blah. All of that behavioral adaptation is a reaction to the belief that he had got a problem. But his problem is all based in history. Right? So now what he was doing was perpetuating the idea that there was something wrong. So for me, I went in there and helped him understand that, no, what you're fighting is your history, which is actually totally unreconcilable. It is what it is. So once he found peace with that, he now started to have freedom. So that was the dissolution of what was in the way of him actually performing. He doubled his averages that night and for that whole week because there was the absence of something mm. so that's where for me my work is as i said about the dissolution of it so intuition to come back to your question is ever present as far as i'm concerned what hides that or masks that is the fact that we accumulate trauma upset failures disappointments judgments because we're human and you're going to go through shit that then hides that which is your gift which is being a sensitive open available human being but once you get hurt, what are you going to do? Protect yourself. Protection is now a barrier to true intimacy, which is why most relationships don't work, because people have had heartbreak in relationships. So now you go into a new relationship from a place of greater protection, which itself seems logical, but is the barrier to connecting with the person you're now in a relationship with. So... Anyway, I'm pretty sure you just mind fucked everyone watching. Okay, in, in great. Most, I love oh, but the foreplay was perfect. Like we, we got them there, <laughs> and then we just. But I'm curious as to how your intuition plays out. Like, do yeah. you ever find yourself in a situation with a client where you're talking about things, and out of nowhere, you're just like, "Hey, listen, I'm just sorry. I, I just got to talk to this. Like, what's going on over here?" Yes, that's something that plays out. That's part of the gift, right? Yeah. Is so like someone will come to me with whatever they think their issue is, like. You know, I can remember distinctly a guy called me, I'd worked with his sister 
from a, a, a well-to-do kind of family. And so she said, can you work with my brother? He's got a bit of a drinking problem, right? So he called me and by you know, virtue of his own courage, he admitted that he has a bit of a drinking issue. And I said, oh, fantastic. <laughs> You know, like, because I really couldn't give a crap about that, right? And so it was just a way of him breaking the traditional way of thinking that was a problem. Yeah. You know, and so after we'd worked together for a while, he's like, you know what? I have to tell you, when you first answered my call and you said that's fantastic, I was so angry. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But that was a way of helping him to sort of dismantle and create a little bit of a reframe around something that he thought of was a distinct problem. Mm. So why to me, using the intuition and to your, to your question, I just see that as a symptom. I really couldn't care less what anyone's doing. I mean, I care, I care more than anyone I know. I'm just not worried about it. Because I know it's a byproduct of what they can't see about their own programming that's leading to drinking, in his case, as an antidote to his internal suffering, right? There was a story, uh, I was sitting in a hot tub in Arizona I was at a golf tournament with one of my pros, um, and so I was just relaxing in this beautiful hot tub, and uh, this couple got in with a baby, newborn, and the mum was sort of playing with the baby, and the, the dad sort of engaged in conversation, the traditional sort of like, who are you, what are you doing here, you're on vacation, and I explained I was here working with a professional golfer, and he's like, oh, that's great, you like the caddy? I said, no, I'm more like sort of his, his sports psych, I, I've sort of help on the mental performance side. He's like, wow, that's cool. And his first question, he goes, how would you stop me smoking? And I said, I wouldn't. (laughs) So immediately again, I've got him engaged because it's not a traditional buy my book, here are the five steps, which he's probably heard a million times. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's nothing wrong with smoking. Now he's really confused, right? So uh, he's looking for a little bit more help. And I said, well, the thing I want you to understand is physiologically, I'm not denying that smoking isn't going to have some kind of impact on you. I personally wouldn't recommend it. I'm not saying it's optimal, uh, but there's nothing inherently wrong with it as a judgment, you know, sort of as, an, as a subjective story. I said, let me put it this way. I said, if you were okay with smoking, you had no judgment about it, you didn't think you were bad, you didn't think it was bad, you were totally free around the, the behavior of smoking, how would you feel? I mean, his shoulders dropped two inches. He said, gosh, I'd feel so relieved. And as he sat there in that state, I said, when you're that relieved, do you need a cigarette? And he smiled and he really got it. I said, see, you don't judge smoking, you judge yourself. Mm. And judgment of yourself creates suffering. Every human being wants to escape suffering, you just found it in nicotine. Now it's become a bit of a physiological habit, but it's all the, the byproduct of the precursor that at a very young age, because you're human, you've established some sense of worthlessness, that you're somehow not enough, you're inadequate, welcome to the game of being human. But because that's still driving your identity, you now have sought solace through cigarettes. So anyway, I saw him a couple of days later, he came running up to me, he's like, I still haven't had a cigarette. I'm like, great, you know, because he realized there's nothing wrong with him. So do you end up doing a lot of work with addiction? Not a lot, I'd say it's a small part. I mean, I do help people. it's more people, honestly, who don't necessarily have what we might call these sort of traditional worries of humans from depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, uh, loss, um, heartache, you know, divorce. That's definitely in the bag. But most of my clients tend to be people who are just driven to wanting to have a higher, more extraordinary experience of themselves and lives. 
they, they definitely have their version of frustrations. And, and for sure, some people come to me because they're struggling with stuff. You know, just talking from a, an executive who struggled with public speaking to the point that it was dry mouth, tachycardia, sweating, you know, all of the things that were going on physiologically translated all back to the fact that when he was 13, he was a lacrosse player, someone passed him a ball, he dropped the ball, the game was tied, the opposing team player picked it up, went to the other end and scored. They lost what was a pivotal game. They got into the huddle and the, the coach, you know, in very stereotypical high school coach way, just laid into him and he was a sensitive kid. And from that moment forth, he made up, his brain made up the, the protection mechanism of never do anything wrong again which you can just feel the stress and strain of that. So he was so petrified of making a mistake in life that now, two decades later, he's standing on a stage, super educated, super passionate about what he does, but looking through the eyes of a scared child who doesn't want to make a mistake. Wow. You talk about dimensions and that you, you know, because we, we had a conversation before we rolled around psychedelics and how psychedelics are in their third wave right now and they're mm. making a comeback in areas of psychotherapeutic benefit, you know, treatment of PTSD and, you know, a whole range of other things from a, even performance with people microdosing even for creativity purposes. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, no, I'm a purist. I, you know, I'm already, I already have access to those dimensions. So when you say mm. you, you have access to those dimensions, like, what do you mean when you say that? Um, I think, again, to the point about intuition, we all do. Yeah. It's just to what degree have we become numb or covered up, you know? Um, listen, I can't speak from experience, you know, because I haven't tried these things. So I don't want to be sitting here on my whole, my high horse thinking that I can access some of these Well, you're not high horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, the people have these profound experiences that I can't speak to because I've never tried it, right? I would just assert through my intuition and by reflection of people who have tried some of these plant medicines who then look at my experience or hear some of my distinctions and insights that they're like, wow, what you're speaking to is what I experienced. So there's not a knowing of how that happens. It's just by virtue of the fact that I have a certain degree of clarity around the human experience that affords me glimpses and then explorations into what's available on the other side of the fears and limitations of the human experience. So it's just I'm like this mad scientist, but in the realm of our perception of reality, which is as far as I'm concerned, what mind altering drugs, whether they be prescribed or otherwise, is really giving people a glimpse of what's on the other side of my general normal reality. So does that mean you see things that are perhaps non-physical? I see dead people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you're not familiar with the ghost that's right behind you? I've got five. You can only see one. (laughs) You've got a problem, pal. You need to turn up the tune. (laughs) I've got a sea of medicine men standing right behind me. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Great outfit. (laughs) I know. A little old school. uh, I, I think seeing for sure is a component. I think it's more... Feeling. Feeling, intuiting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really getting, you know, down to the essence of who we are as beings having human experiences. And what is that, what is that realm? What is the essence versus the form, right? I'm much more interested in that, the energetics, the vibrational qualities of versus the fact that you're Joe Blow with an Oscar and you're worth blah, 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 million. Like, Okay, that's great, but like, do you treat the busboy with 
kindness and compassion, you know, that, that to me is where I see your value and your worth, not in what you actually have in a bank account. So they're the things that I see is the interplay of how do we interact with our environment, with other people that might, you know, it's so subtle. Um, Ayurveda, honestly, which is part of my, my work, uh, was an incredible um, sort of introduction to some of these subtler qualities, you know, because it's really looking at the energetics of a body. You go to see a doctor, they're going to measure these sort of material or sort of superficial uh, qualities of your physiology or your biology, but through the lens of Ayurveda, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but bit, we look yeah. at the the doshas, right, yeah. which are really expressions of air, fire, water, or earth. Yeah. So it's a much more sort of artistic way of looking at a human being versus a very hard scientific way. So that's also contributed to my ability to look at someone and go. Even looking at you, I know that you know you've got some fire imbalance, but you've got a lot of earth in you. You know, so people are like what the you know what the hell are you talking about? But I can just see in the way that you present. So that then gives me access to okay, what are you going to be predisposed to emotionally, physiologically, in diseases that might manifest? Somebody who's more air, they're going to have dry, cracking skin and joints. They're going to have a predisposition towards constipation, anxiety. Psychologically, they're going to be way in the future. They'll make friends very quickly. They'll lose things very quickly. They'll get things very quickly. Psychologically, understanding, they'll forget things very quickly. Fire people are much more athletic, driven, passionate. CEOs, they're visionaries because fire brings light. Earthy people are like the Oprahs. You know, they're enduring. They're, they hold on to history. They struggle with depression and accumulative problems, right? So all of that, just immediately I can see in the way someone presents. What do you see in this? Because I, I fire, I, yeah, because I, yeah, I had you've a, got a big fire imbalance, uh, and I can't crack it. No, no, mate, it's I can't tough. crack it at the moment. I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure. And what's yeah. interesting is it's coincided with. Um, now I wasn't going to ask you this, but Matthias said, "Look, I've listened to a couple of his podcasts, and sometimes he'll talk about people's health issues. You yeah. should go." Then I was like, "Look, I don't want. If we don't want to go there, you're yeah. more, I'm more than happy not to." Yeah. But um, I am curious because it, it came up eight years ago. Was yeah. present for about almost two years. Yeah. Tried everything under the sun and then one day it just resolved yeah. and six weeks ago it came back but it coincided with me starting to become short-sighted okay yeah and i was like okay eyes seeing yeah. fire liver I was, well, gallbladder meridian so yeah. i did a couple gallbladder flushes it yeah. started to calm down yeah i feel like i wasn't pushing out the stones that when perhaps that are locked in there at the level to yeah. get the resolution. But I'd, yeah. if you've got a perspective, I'd be all in. So all of that, but there's also an emotional component with you, mm. depending on how deep you want to get. Like, yeah, go um, for it. Well, you're a big sensitive Sally, but there's also like a lot of trapped heat emotionally, mm. like which can manifest as anger. Now, you might not come across that way, but the, I would there. assert there's hurt. Yeah. There's a lot of hurt. So that hurt that I see in you could make you more explosive. Now, you've done a good job of controlling it because you're a very caring guy. But emotionally, I still think there's stuff that's unresolved. So there's trapped heat mm. and your body is trying to release it. And because you're a fire type, it's gonna look through the channels that fire travels, which is liver, gallbladder, eyes, skin, and especially in the blood. So there's seven different tissue systems. We start with rasa, which is uh, like plasma, and then rakta is blood, and that's where a lot of the heat gets trapped. Hence, so, stroke, pulmonary embolisms. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So there's just a lot of heat in your system that's asking to escape. And it's fine. It's, you know, in one way for you, you know, strapping guy, you don't want to have that. It doesn't look great. But, you know, at another level, you could say your physiology is doing its job. Yeah. 
So for you, surrender, acceptance, the fact that you can talk about it openly in front of your audience is beautiful. That shows you know, how available you are and what a pioneer you are for the work and bringing it to your people. But there's a lot of love and acceptance in that, which is the softer, cooler approach to mm. the hurt and the anger. Mm. So the more that you can raise the tide of those qualities of love, of compassion, of acceptance, of more the feminine, you know, and where that little boy got hurt and was upset that then as a big dude, you've translated into a survival mechanism of being a little bit more forceful and a little bit more angry as a, you know, anger is a, a, an adaptation to hurt, right? You go near a dog that's growling at you. It's not a bad dog. It's just probably been hit and one too many times. So it sees another hand and now it's trying to protect itself. So I'd say it's a combination for you of emotion. And, you know, obviously diet plays a big part. You want to avoid heating foods, spicy foods, alcohol. These are all adding more heat to the system. Yeah. So, yeah, there's certain things we, you know, we can talk about and I can advise you offline or Man, whatever. I'd, I'd, I'd be more than open to, to yeah. employ your services because you can yeah. very well recommend it. Yes, well, thank you. <laughs> no, but does that good. intuitively make oh, sense? Oh, absolutely, it does. And what's, yeah. It's kind of interesting because um, every year I have a theme. Yeah. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago it started with, I think it started like four years ago where it started with the theme of um, the brain because I, yeah. I had um, the stroke but then we also discovered I had uh, two other brain injuries on the frontal lobes and mm-hmm. so I spent literally 12 months just rehabilitating my brain and working on my brain and getting to a point and then the next year was the year of the body and I started rehabilitating all old joints and yeah. then, then it was the year of health and then I you know, went from rehabilitating all my joints and getting operations and losing like 15 kilos to then getting back into training, becoming healthy. Yeah. And this year is the year of relationships. Ah, I love it. And I went through a, uh, a, a separation uh, two and a half years ago from, uh, from my ex-wife. We're still best of friends. There's, awesome. I'm sure there's still some, because uh, there was an ideal, because I grew up, um, parents separated when I was six months old. Uh, so I waited till I was 36, 37, 38 to, to invest into a relationship because I was like, I'm going to yeah. do this once and I want to yeah. get this right because I want to give myself what that mm. which I did not have. Mm-hmm. But what happened through this whole process is I started to realize that my relationship blueprint, mm-hmm. as we kind of touched upon earlier, I was, I was essentially seeking unavailable intimacy. Yes. Um, and as I've gone through this, this year with the relationships, it's just not been the relationships around intimacy, it's been a relationship with my mum. You know, I've had yeah. challenging relationships that have come up there. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sense that this is related to yeah. hurt in relation to connection and relationships yeah. and me being afraid of actually allowing myself to open up and yeah. be vulnerable to, to intimacy and love. Yeah, um, I mean, amazing, mate, beautiful, right? But there's a couple of things, even the way you speak, which point to what I'm, I'm sharing Please, with yeah. you is the trap, right? Yeah. So parents separate your six months. So even in the way that you described your reaction to that, there's a lot of judgment, right? Because you said, I'm going to wait till I was 36 so that I can do it right. Yeah. Yeah. What's implied in that statement? Well, to me, it was making sure, I, yeah, lack of experience. Well, no, but let's get, get it a little even simpler. Please. Parents separate when you're six months. You waited, you know, so we could say there's a degree of maturity, there's a degree of responsibility, but there's a lot of perfectionism and trying yes. to get it right. You even yeah. said the words like, you know, I, I want, want to only do this once because I want to do it right. right. Yeah. So what's implied in that as a subtext about your childhood? If you're trying to get it right, what are you saying? My childhood wasn't right. So now, however old you are, how old are you? Uh, 44. 44. So you've got over four decades of judgment. Mm. Think about that. That's a lot to carry. Mm. So was your parents leaving and separating when you were six months wrong? 
No, it was perfect. I can let's say that, that Let's drop that word for now because okay. I'm not a big fan. Perfect right. is a subjective experience. Okay. But can you see that whether you realize it just by virtue of me reflecting right now, but you had at least viscerally, emotionally, judgment about that event. Mm. Right now, you've got four decades. Think about that. Think about the energetic load, the actual weight emotionally of, and I'm not saying that was easy. I'm not saying it was optimal. And I'm not saying that for a few years after that, it wasn't difficult bouncing between parents. I don't know what you went through. But the point is, sitting here today, 44, you've got energetically an accumulation of judgment. Judgment is friction. Like, if I don't want something, I'm creating resistance. 44 years worth of judgment is a huge amount of friction which generates a massive amount of heat and hurt. As a guy, particularly more so than a girl, you're going to create a protection mechanism which invariably is force control and judge, uh, judgment towards something by virtue of you wanting to get it right, right? You feel something in your heart? Yeah, beautiful. So what if you could right now with me collapse four and a half decades of judgment into complete surrender and acceptance. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Now, I love the fact that you're willing to go there and I can see it already behind your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question. You can only answer yes or no. Was it wrong that your parents separated when you were six months? No. Say it again. Was it wrong that your parents separated when you were six months? No. Have you had it prior to my questioning that it was wrong? Yes. What was being the expense to you emotionally of looking back at that as though what happened wasn't what was supposed to happen? I've lived in fear. Yeah. Fear of relationships. Yeah. And what else? Just fear of being hurt. Yeah. What else? Fear of abandonment. Yeah. What else? Fear of, yeah, never being enough. Yeah. And you said that you're only going to do it once because you want to get it right. So if you're wanting to get it right, what are you fear of? Being wrong. Feel the pressure of that. Mm. Four and a half decades of trying not to do it wrong. Four and a half decades of fear that if you found intimacy, it would go. Now you're feeling it, right? And you wonder why you had a hole in your heart. <laughs> right? This is beautiful, mate. This is going to help so many people. And it's only because of a psychological relationship to a history that you're looking at shouldn't have been the way it was. I want you to consider, you wouldn't be here today, you wouldn't be having this conversation with me if it weren't for the fact that your parents separated when you were six months. And for that reason, not only is it not wrong, it's actually a blessing. Mm. It is precisely what was supposed to happen. Why? Because it's what happened. Now, if people will take one thing from this whole podcast, it's that statement, they will find peace and complete reconciliation with everything that's happened in their history. I have a quote, and it's going to be in my book coming out. What happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. Only we with our narratives can say otherwise. And it is the delta, the difference between reality, which is what happened, and our conversation about it that creates our suffering. Was your parents' separation at six months wrong? No. In the absence of that judgment of that event, what becomes available to you? Realizing it wasn't wrong, not only was it not wrong, it's exactly what was supposed to be, supposed to have happened, for which reason you are a very blessed man because of the difference you're making in people's lives right now. What becomes available to you in the absence of 
all judgment, four and a half decades of judgment. How do you feel right now if that's gone? Love and acceptance. Yeah. How does your body feel? Light. I feel, yeah, tingling. Yeah. There's a softness. There's a peace. Mm. I would assert that anything that's going on in your eyes, you know, that will dissipate to what degree I don't know. But the, the more you feel into this peace, surrender, acceptance, the more that friction, that judgment, that excess heat just dissipates. Mm. Because this is, I've got to get it right. This is pressure. This is judgment. See the tension? Mm. And it's throughout your body. Now, you're a massive softie, and I love that about you. But you've developed a facade, a bravado of self-protection because underneath it, there's a little boy there who got really hurt. Mm. And we want to love him. We don't want to protect him. We want to hold him. Mm. We don't want to heal him. The ego doesn't want to be healed, it wants to be held. Mm. And think about that. I'm not saying that was easy and we could get into the details of what transpired subsequently. It's irrelevant. It's important and I know you got it just to see that whatever happened five seconds ago, five decades ago is precisely what was supposed to happen. Why? Because it's what happened. And for you to find the peace and acceptance with that, you'll be a different human being. Uh, did not expect quite this, but Maddie, thank you for pushing me to go there. Like he's like over the moon right now. Yeah, you are an incredible individual, Peter. Well, thank you. I that feel very blessed for you to, to for our paths to have crossed. Likewise, my friend, you're a beautiful being, and I don't know how many people you get to influence, but right now you are touching so many people's lives by virtue of the courage you have to to reveal and to be so transparent in front of me so that I could hold a space of love and acceptance for you such that you can now hold that for yourself. You can have the love and acceptance for the little boy who was under the impression that things didn't go the way they were supposed to. And that just like anyone else, you're human. There's no such thing as getting it right. There's no such thing as fucking it up. You're doing the best you can like everybody else. And to afford yourself that gift of humanity to allow the freedom of not knowing what's going to happen, but know you've got a big heart, you're doing the best you can. That to me is just a whole new dimension for you to start to explore. Mate, I, I, I can't think of a, a, better, a better way to, to finish the, uh, the interview. Yeah. Peter, um, <laughs> my thanks goes well beyond uh, this podcast. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for your time, your love, your acceptance and your care. You're so welcome, uh, You clearly mate. didn't have to go there if you didn't want to, but you did. No, and, but it's beautiful, right? Yeah. Because not only is this a gift for you, like I, I really, I can't imagine... Oh, I, I How many people you're going to hear oh, from? I, I know. I who know. just are suffering? So yeah. this goes back to your question of how would I help? Well, we just did it. We just did to a certain mm. degree, and it's a start, right? But it's mm. a powerful start, you know. People because they've been through all sorts. I've helped people who've had sexual abuse. To, you know, obviously parents separating at a young age is very common. But you know, feeling like they're the unwanted stepchild or the the kid who wasn't as successful, athletic, or intelligent as their sibling, or whatever it is, that then mm. became the precursor to their own feelings of inadequacy, all of which is completely and utterly unnecessary, because it's fabricated. So beyond, is there anything wrong with the fact that your parents separated when you're six months? I'm gonna ask you another question. Is there anything wrong with you? No. What does that feel like? It feels good. Yeah. Now, psychologically, you might have known that, but I would assert viscerally now you get to feel there's, it. There's a, there's, a, there's a shift. There's yeah. a shift. I've been telling myself I'm okay for a while, but I've known, 
on some level that there's more work to do. Yeah. But I guess my story is there's always work to do. Well, you know, that's another story to investigate. <laughs> Our next be... episode of Unstoppable <laughs> with Peter Crone. Yeah, there may be things to explore, yeah. but not as a reaction. Because you saying I'm okay, I would assert was a reaction to a deeper belief that you thought you weren't. Mm. No, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so it was a compensation. And now maybe for the first time ever in your life, you truly get to sit in the essence of who you are. You know what? I think you just created a massive distinction. The, the compensation versus realization. They're not the same thing. No. Yeah. No, you're, you're driven, you're intelligent, you obviously are doing great work, all of which has created a persona that is an adaptation to deeper feelings of inadequacy and insecurity. Mm. What I'm saying is that persona is unnecessary. It's fine. You're a great guy trying you know, hoping one day all of the stuff that humans are caught up in, that their happiness is in the future and all the rest of it. And you just collapsed time, both past and future, and became present with me right now, realizing there's nothing wrong and there's nothing to figure out. Mm. That's an entirely different experience of what it means to be human. It does indeed. Where can people find you, Peter? Um, two simple places, petercrone.com website, yeah. and I uh, now on Instagram for a little bit, uh, at the dizzy heights <laughs> of social media, uh, Pizza Crone official. Yeah. Yeah. And um, book coming out shortly? Book coming out. Uh, I'm predicting sort of springtime next year. Have we got a working title? Summer. We got a name yet? Uh, not finalized. Okay. It's a couple I'm dancing around with. And uh, you've also got um, two or three documentaries coming out. Yeah, so there's Heal that's available on Netflix. Yep. Um, there's one, I don't know to what degree it's, it's going to be global, but it's on Fox Sports about the baseball player. Yep. Uh, Celestine Prophecy, I'm sure, will get places. That's amazing. And, you know, but that so could great. be a while, so yep. who knows. Okay. But um, some other, other things in the works. I mean, the book for me is going to be really exciting mm. because I, as much as I enjoy dialogue and conver conversing, yeah. I would actually assert my writing is my, my forte. Yeah, right. I love to write. So I'm just excited to think that there's somebody out there who I might never meet, more likely than not never meet, uh, who could be touched by what I've written in a way that it really impacts their life in a beautiful, loving, positive way. That, to me, makes my life worthwhile. And I have no doubt that this podcast will, will more than continue the legacy that is already there that is Peter Crane. Well, I, I thank you for the gift that it is to uh, let me contribute to you, my friend. And uh, I'm excited to hear what unfolds by virtue of you letting go of that four and a half decades of weight that was... Yeah, me uh, too holding you back because you're obviously doing great things and now you just opened up an entirely new future. So. Mm. Peter Crane, thank you so much. You're welcome, my friend. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. Would love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray. 